Oh, oh, don't encourage them. Don't encourage them. Hey, if you're new here, I'm sorry. Uh, I didn't know they were going to do that this morning, but thank you, thank you, thank you. I do uh, appreciate that. Uh, for those of you that's like, what's going on? I've been gone for the last four weeks from the stage uh, in a, what we call a study leave. And so uh, now I'm back up here and I'm incredibly grateful to be back up here. And I'll talk about that here in just a few moments. But let me pause really quick and just say welcome to anybody that's joining us for the first time. Uh, we really are thankful that you're here and you're part of this gathering. I'd love to meet you personally, won't keep you long. And so if you're not in a hurry, I'd love to meet you out at guest services uh, before you take off today. And so hopefully you'll take me up on that. Well, hey, I know it's not Thanksgiving. And typically that's the time we go around the room and we talk about what we're thankful for. But I just need to take this time and share with you some things that I am thankful for, beginning with this church. Abs or, yeah, absence truly makes the heart grow fonder. And I'm incredibly grateful for this place for a lot of reasons. But the fact that I'm grateful this, for this place means I'm grateful for you because you make up Trace Church. And so I just want to say thank you for helping us to create a culture here where people can come and they can voice real concerns and doubts that they may even have in their faith. But at the same time, they can learn new opportunities to seek God. And so I want to say thank you for allowing us to create a, a culture that I truly miss when, I, when I'm gone from here. And that may sound like obvious, like, yeah, yeah, of course you would miss not being here. But you'd be surprised how many lead pastors that I talk to that do what I just did, meaning they, they're gone on a study leave or they're gone on some kind of uh, sabbatical. And they don't want to come back to the church they lead. And I'm like, man, that's just sad. That's like one of the saddest things I've ever heard. But I truly do miss this place when I'm gone. I also want to say thanks to our management team. And uh, if that's kind of a new concept for you, just think eldership. But I want to say thanks to our management team for loving me enough, for loving my family enough to give us intentional time every summer. They've allotted me to have about three to four weeks off uh, every summer where I can have some un uninterrupted time with my family, but to also refresh and refocus on what it is that God wants us to do as a church. And then last but not least, I want to say thanks to the guys that filled in for me while I was gone. Didn't Josiah and Dave and Alan do an amazing job up here in my absence? <clears throat> you know, sometimes when people in my position leave, they're like, oh, I'm not sure how things are going to go, but I don't, like, I didn't get one phone call, which is great. Uh, I didn't have to worry about what was happening here because those guys are incredible leaders and just did a great job in my absence. So I really do appreciate them. Hey, I want to talk to you about something personal really quick. It's uh, kind of a reflection from the time that I did have off over this summer and something that maybe you might want to know. One of the things I've been trying to uh, get in, in my life more routinely is what I would call rest rhythms. And what I just experienced this past summer, taking three weeks off, uh, was a rest rhythm. And this is a time for me to, yes, get away and have some uninterrupt, un uninterrupted time with my family, but it's also an opportunity for me to seek God. And there's a question that I typically come to God with, and it's a repeated question, and I feel like I say it every year, uh, I ask it every year, and it sounds something like this, God, are we going the direction that you want us to go? Are we going the direction that you want us to go? And so when I find one of these rest rhythms throughout the year, because sometimes there's like more hectic seasons in ministry than others, and so I'm trying to put, intentionally put these rest rhythms in very intentional places. And so when I have that time and I kind of get that space, I ask the question, God, are we going the direction that you want us to go? Not the direction that I want us to go, not the direction that my team wants us to go, not the direction that you even want us to go, but God, are we going in the direction that you want us to go? And to be honest with you, this past summer, and even before then, really, I feel like God was letting me know, I think you gotten off track a little bit. I think you gotten off track just a little bit. And without taking too much time up this morning to talk about what those things look like, here's what I want to do. 
I want to invite you to come and be a part of our fall kickoff on August 11th. And we're going to kick off a new series that morning called Deep and Wide. And in that series, I'm going to be talking to you about some things that we have already begun to implement and some changes that we've already uh, begun the process of making, but also some changes that I feel like we need to continue to make as a church. And so here's my request of you. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to leverage your influence to get as many people to come and be a part of that as possible. Now, you should ask an obvious question. I mean, if this is not just about us becoming some big mega church, you should ask the obvious question, why? Why is it so important that I get people to come here? And here's how I would answer this. Because they need Jesus. And I believe they're going to meet him here. Because they need community, real community. And I believe we can help them find it here. And because they need purpose, God has created them for a purpose, with a purpose in mind, for them. And I believe we can help them find it here. Jesus, community, and purpose. Friends, that's what Jesus is getting at in John chapter 10 when he talks about abundant life. So really the question or the ask that I'm asking of you is this. I just want you to leverage your influence to lead others to life. Life in Jesus, life in community, life living in the purpose that God has for them. And if you'll do that, if you'll do that, you see these ropes over here on the sides of the chairs? There's no reason we need those ropes. If you'll just leverage the influence that you already have, not you know, influence that you're going to have to manufacture, the influence that you have naturally been given, if you'll leverage that to lead others to Jesus, to lead others to life, to lead others to come and be a part of the story that God is telling here, we don't need those ropes. And so let me do this right now. I just want to, before I get into my sermon, I just want to pray. I want to pray for that specifically. And so if you'll bow your heads with me, I just want to pray this morning. Father, you have given us all influence. It's something that we all have in common. But unfortunately, oftentimes we use that influence and we leverage it for our own personal gain, for our own personal benefit. And so, Lord, I pray that you remind us that you have given us that influence to leverage for your kingdom, not building our own kingdoms. And so even though we're not a perfect church, even though uh, you know, there are things that are going to happen here that I wish wouldn't happen or are unfortunate, God, I do believe this is still a place where people can bump into you. I believe this is still a place that people can meet Jesus, that this is a place that they're going to experience Christian community where we're truly going to help carry one another's burdens. I believe this is a place where we can help people discover the purpose that you have for their life because you created them on purpose and for a purpose. And so God, would you help us to leverage the influence you have given us to, to invite people to come and be a part of the story that you're telling here. So God, show us where we can do that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen. Hey guys, I'm pumped. I'm pumped to be back up here for several reasons. Uh, not only because I've been off of the stage for four weeks, but also because of the chapter that we're landing in today. Now, if you're new here, we've been in this series called Glow, The Gospel Lived Out. And we've been going through the Gospel of John. And so today we're going to be, be landing in John chapter 17. And so if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn them open or turn them on. Find your way over to John chapter 17. And I need to let you know up front, I think this is worth noting, that this chapter is unlike any other chapter in the Bible. This chapter is completely devoted to a prayer, not the subject of prayer, but it's devoted to a prayer. And this specific prayer is given by Jesus. And so he's going to have two focuses in this prayer. On the front part of this prayer, you're going to see Jesus talk to the Father about the disciples, his fellows, the guys that have been with him, with him doing his ministry. And then he's going to transition, he's going to shift at some point in this prayer, and he's going to pray for you and me. 
And so can I just ask you a rhetorical question this morning? If there's an entire chapter devoted to prayer, to a prayer by Jesus, wouldn't you want to know what he said? And if Jesus goes to the Father to ask something for you and for me, wouldn't you want to know what he asks for? And so you're in luck today if that's something you're interested in, because that's exactly what we're going to be doing. Now, I need to let you know that we're also going to be pulling two major themes out of the text today, and they're the subjects of truth and unity. So with that being said, let's jump into, jump into John's gospel. Again, chapter 17, beginning in verse 13. Jesus says this, Now I'm coming to you, this is Jesus, I'm coming to you, you would have been the Father. I told them many things, them would have been the disciples. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so that they would be filled with joy. I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Now, maybe you've heard the phrase at some point in your faith journey, be in the world and not of the world. We actually never see that, those words being said in Scripture, but this is the text that we would extrapolate that concept, be in the world, not of the world. Let me pick up in verse 15. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Hold on to that. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. In other words, we can't define truth, but what we say it is Jesus defines truth for us, and this is a big deal for us as a church. If you don't know this, our name Trey stands for truth and grace put together. So we want to make sure that we are actually looking to the right source for truth. And Jesus says, your word is truth. Verse 18, just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. And I have given myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. Friends, this morning, I want to talk to you about truth. And in this particular context, we see Jesus highlight the subject of truth in his prayer. And he more specifically mentions how it leads us to holiness. But for our time together, I want to narrow in on a more specific subject when it comes to truth, and it's this right here. I want to talk about telling the truth. I want to talk about telling the truth. I want to talk about what it means to be a truth teller. In my own personal leadership and kind of coaching and mentoring that I do, this has been a subject that I've been honing in more and more on. And you may ask why. Why are you making this such a big deal right now? I'm making it a bigger deal because I think it's a bigger problem than what we probably give credit to. I think this idea of truth-telling is a bigger problem than we probably give time to. And I'm not sure why we sideline. I'm not sure why we don't talk about it as much as we should. Maybe we kind of sideline it because we think it's an elementary subject. Hey, that's something you should talk to your kids about, and you absolutely should. We talk to our kids about this all the time. If you were to ever come over to my house, you're going to see this hanging on the wall. We call it the Pen Pennington Family Code. And I'm really intentional about these three things. I'll talk to you about them here in just a moment. Because one of the things that I don't want to happen as a pastor and having pastor's kids, that's a thing, is I don't want my kids to grow up in this um, environment where they feel like they have to be perfect because their dad's a pastor. I don't want them to feel berated with a bunch of rules and regulations and all these things just because daddy's the pastor. And so instead, what I've decided to do, we, just, we have decided to do, Emily and I, is put together three things that we feel like, hey, if you will just do these three things, we feel like it's going to build an incredible foundation for your life. And so these things are very intentional. The first one, always tell the truth. The second one, always honor mom. That used to say always honor God, but Emily changed it. Uh, I'm just kidding, she didn't do that. <laughs> and then the last one, 
Always remember to work as a team. Now let me work backwards here. This one on the bottom, again, incredibly intentional. Always work as a team. You know this if you have kids. We all have this thing inside of us called selfishness. We're born with it. And so at some point, you're gonna have, your kids are going to feel entitled. They're going to be, well, what about me? But I want, but I want, but I want, but I want. What about me? And this entitlement kind of core to who they are in their nature. We're, unfortunately, it's like we're born with this. And so what this does is it reminds them this isn't about you. This isn't about, I don't know how many times I say that a week to one of my kids. This isn't about you. This is about a team. It's about us. This is about God leading us. This is about us serving one another, loving one another, putting our own selfish desires aside so that we can help each other. This is not about you. This is about a team. And so we, as a Pennington, as Pennington Family Co., we work as a team. The second one, we always honor mom. Incredibly intentional. I've got three daughters. And one of the things that I want each of my daughters to see and experience is what it looks like to be honored as a woman. And so by putting this in place, I hope my daughters not only see it, I hope they experience it. So when they start looking for their own husband, when they're 45, <clears throat> that they're going to expect this from another man because this is what they've experienced. And also, honestly, for my son. I want my son to see what it looks like to honor his future wife by the way, the, what he observes in our home today. And then the last one, maybe the most obvious one, we always tell the truth. Like many of you, I'm trying to help each of my kids see that when we lie, it leads to a loss of trust, which tears away at the fabric of every relationship. You guys get this. It's hard for any relationship to survive without trust, isn't it? And many of you who have unfortunately been on the other end uh, of deception and a big lie, you know that when trust is lost, it's lost in bucketfuls and it's gained back in drops. That's why I would go as far as to say that dishonesty may be the greatest source of damage and division in any relationship. And so that begs the question, if lying causes so much damage, and we know this, we get this, if it causes so much damage, then why do we do it so much? I would submit to you this morning that when it serves in our best interest, we probably lie more than we think. Maybe it's just a small fabrication to make a story better or to make you look better in a story or situation. Maybe it wasn't telling the entire truth, because let's face it, if you did, it would have just made things worse. It would have caused a bigger problem. Maybe it's the image that some of you are trying to portray on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and you know what's happening behind the scenes of your life, but you really don't want others to have that perception of you, so instead you create your own perception through social media of what you want others to think of you. Maybe that's how you lie. I would beg you to consider this morning that we probably all lie more than we think, especially when it's going to work to our advantage. Several years ago, I was down in the Grand Canyon, and I, was, I used to live in Arizona, and I'm hiking down there, and uh, while we were down there, a big flash flood came, and I had parked my truck next to kind of this cliff edge, and so the water actually loosened up a boulder that fell on the back end of my truck, and so not only did we have to get helivacked out of the canyon because of a flash flood, I come up to find my truck like this. It was not the best day in my life. And so uh, when I brought my truck to go, you know, at this point, I got to go to insurance and let them know what happened. And so uh, at some point in that process, I'm at the body shop. And the guy there is looking at the damage and he's kind of making his assessment. And he notices that I don't have a mud flap. 
And he said, hey, was that mud flap missing when, you, when the boulder fell on your truck? And I'm like, yeah, it's always been missing. Uh, you know, it's been missing ever since I bought the truck. I've never had a mud flap on that side. And he said, well, they won't know the difference. You want me to just throw it into the, you know, the list of things that need to be repaired or replaced? And I'm like, sure. And as I'm walking away, the Holy Spirit does what only he can do. He begins to wreck me. And something kind of surfaces inside of me, and it was like a clear question in front of me that God was putting in front of me. So that's the price of your integrity? Is that the price of your integrity, Aaron? The price of a mud flap? So you have the integrity of a mud flap. Sounds, that sounds good. And so I turned around, I go back, I find the guy, and I said, hey, do me a favor, just leave the mud flap off that list of things to be repaired or replaced. Friends, this happens a lot quicker than we think, especially when we don't determine ahead of time that we're going to tell the truth. When we don't determine ahead of time that we're going to be truth tellers, we leave a lot of situations and circumstances to chance. Maybe it was the right situation, or maybe it was the wrong situation. Maybe it was the right circumstance for you to tell a lie, or maybe it was the wrong circumstance and it caused you to tell a lie. Whatever that looks like, you're more prone to lying than you think. So what I need you to do today is determine today. Determine today that you're going to tell the truth. And yes, telling the truth won't always put you in the best light. Telling the truth may cause some tension between you and your spouse. Telling the truth may take a longer explanation with your kids. Telling the truth may even mean that some of you have to admit that you've been watching this secretly. Yeah? If you're a fella in here, and this is true for you, I'd keep that to yourself. I really would. <laughs> let's also make sure that we use wisdom here. I don't have time to like go through every scenario or situation, but let's use wisdom. There are times where we need to avoid the truth. Let me give you a very practical example. I have four kids. Do you know how many times I've dodged the question, where do babies come from? Right? It's like, uh, go watch Dumbo. It'll explain everything. Um, not really. So um, I don't lie to them. Let me be clear about that. I don't lie to them, uh, but I dodge the question and I say, hey, at some point in time, daddy or mommy will sit down and we'll talk to you more about that. And of course, they, that doesn't appease them. And so we have to kind of avoid it and dodge it and get out of there. So yes, we're going to use wisdom. There are times where, yes, avoiding the truth makes complete sense. But for you today, I want you to be a truth teller. I want you to be a truth teller. And not only... Do I think that will bring you closer to holiness, which is what we just heard from Jesus in his prayer? But I think it will also lead you to wholeness. Think about it. When you live with integrity, life is more peaceful. It's more joyful because you don't have to worry about what if they find out. And when you're living in wholeness and even holiness, I think our lives can leave a bigger impact on the people that we come into contact with. So determine today today that you're going to tell the truth. Maybe for you, this means slowing down your speech so that you can make sure that what you're saying is actually true. Maybe you need to think about how you're going to say things ahead of time so that you can avoid fabrication. Some of you need to stop putting yourselves in situations 
you know who you are, you need to stop putting yourself in certain situations that you know you're going to have to cover up later because if he found out or if she found out, things would not go well for you. So you need to determine today, what does that look like for you? What action step do you need to take to make sure that you lean towards telling the truth instead of lying? And if you'll do this, if you will do this, I think you will experience what Jesus talks about in John chapter 8 when he says, you'll be in truth. When you live in truth, it'll set you what? It'll set you free. And you'll begin to live in that wholeness and closer to holiness. And I think you're going to find more fulfillment for your life. Now, we need to shift because there's a whole other section of things that I want to talk about this morning. And so up till now, we've talked about how dishonesty is potentially the number one thing that divides us. But now I want to bring us back to the text, back to this prayer from Jesus, and look at one of the most profound passages, if you ask me, in all of Scripture. And it's specifically on the subject of what unites us. And so let's jump back in the text, John chapter 17, verse 20. Again, Jesus shifts, and now he's beginning to pray for us, not his disciples. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. Them would have been the disciples. I pray also for those who believe, who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That all of them may be one. I want you to start paying attention to the word one. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Key phrase, may they also be in us. May they be in us. May we be in the Father, in the Son, in the Holy Spirit. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. What does this look like? May, may we be in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. May they be in us. It means we're living within the will of God. This doesn't mean perfection. This doesn't mean we're not going to make mistakes and we're not going to need the grace of God every single day because we all screw up. This just means living with a deeper meaning in our life, knowing that it's not about us, it's about God. It's about living in his will, with his purpose, his purposes, I should say, in mind. Verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. So that, everybody say, so that. So that they may be brought to complete unity. When we live in oneness with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, when we live in his will with his purposes in mind, it, it unifies us so that they may be brought to complete unity. Next statement is monumental. Then, everybody say then. Big transitional word here. Then the world will know. Not before, no, when we're unified in purpose and underneath the will of God, when we're unified in that, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Just read that statement to yourself a couple more times. If I were dying and I was given one last message to preach, this would potentially be the text that I would go to because I think it is that impactful. So let me sum this up in the most concise way that I know possible. Our unity brings clarity to God's love. Our unity brings clarity to God's love. And here we see Jesus define unity as this idea of oneness, specifically oneness with God. Now let me be clear on what Jesus is not saying. He's not saying sameness 
oneness and sameness are not the same thing. One of the best illustrations, well, let me, let me back up really quick. Let me do this. In order to help us build a framework to allow us to have a deeper understanding of this text, because I think this text is incredibly important, uh, let me build a framework for us that will help us to arrive at a deeper understanding. Let me begin by defining the word oneness. Oneness is the fact or state of being unified or whole, though comprised of two or more parts. Hold that thought for a second. One of the best descriptions that I think we ever see for what it means to be the church is when Paul specifically uses an illustration. He uses a metaphor with the human body. He talks about how we, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you put your trust and faith in Christ, that you are a part of the body of Christ. And so he literally uses a physical body, just one body, to talk about how we all have different parts and functions, right? The feet have a purpose, hands have a purpose, ears, eyes, nose, heart, brain. They all have a different function, but they still make up the same body. If you ask me, this was a genius way for Paul to describe what it looks like for us to be a part of the body of Christ. Let me give you a glimpse into what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, just as a body, though one, pay attention to how many times you see the word one, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, let me build on this for a second. When he's talking about the body of Christ, he's not talking about like this body. He's talking about the body of Christ worldwide. And so you know this, there's probably tens of thousands of churches throughout this world that make up the body of Christ. And so through those different express or through those different and thousands of different churches, you're going to find so many different types of expressions of worship, different focuses, different methods, different, you know, areas of outreach. There's so many different ways that the church can be expressed. And then on top of that, you bring and we bring with us our opinions, our interpretations, our speculations, our preferences of how we think church should be done. And you know what that is? That's a recipe for division. That's a recipe for division, not unity. Now, why do I say all that? Because it doesn't have to be. When God set his movement in place called the church, the Ecclesia of Jesus, I think he gave us a pretty big playground. I think he gave us a pretty big playground of how we can express worship differently, how we can do church differently, how we can use different methods to reach people far from God, but still be within the framework that he gave us called his church. My very life represents different expressions of these kind of faiths. For instance, I grew up Southern Baptist. Anybody, any Southern Baptists in the room? Yeah, you typically don't get anybody to say a noise or raise a hand when they're Southern Baptist. That's just how we grew up, wasn't it? And so when I was a Southern Baptist, that's where I was baptized. That's where I gave my life to Jesus. Now, later I became a hellion and a heathen. And so in college, uh, I needed to, re I rededicated my life. And I was actually at a Pentecostal conference. Any Pentecostals in the room? Yeah, yeah. See the difference, see the difference. So uh, after that, um, I meet my wife. And I never became Catholic or anything like that, but we got married in a Catholic church. And then now you see me up here as the lead pastor of a non-denominational church. There are several different types of expressions. And yes, some of 
the different opinions and some of the different maybe expressions maybe should be checked. They're not all healthy, but I believe a lot of them can be healthy. In other words, our differences, listen to me, our differences don't have to be divisive. Our differences don't have to be divisive as long as we're unified where it's mattering the most, where it matters the most, because our unity brings clarity to God's love. And if our unity is potentially the greatest attraction to God, then our division could also be viewed as the greatest distraction from God. And that should cause all of us to ask potentially the most obvious question at this point. So where is our unity the most necessary? Where's our unity the most necessary? There's a song we sing around here at Trace a lot that actually describes this really well in its lyrics. So let me show them to you. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. This idea of the Trinity. This is a doctrine that should unify us. That this is not an area that's subjective. This is something that should unify us. I believe in the resurrection. This is not just a story that we tell on Easter. That the resurrection actually happened. That Jesus walked out of a tomb that is still empty to this day. And because that happened, that now is the foundation. It truly is the foundation of the Christian faith. Sometimes we think the Bible gave us Christianity. The Bible didn't give us Christianity. The resurrection happened, which started Christianity that later gave us the Bible. The resurrection is the cornerstone to our faith. We got to make sure that stays a doctrine, that we're unified around that. We believe that we and he will rise again, for I believe in the name of Jesus. Now stay with me. And I want to slow down for a second because almost every proclaiming Christian would look at these today and say, well, I believe in those things, so I guess I'm living in unity. But just believing in these things is not enough. It can't just be something that we believe in. It can't just be something that simply makes us feel better from time to time. Our faith can't just be something that we participate in when it's convenient. And Jesus can't just be a good idea. No, church, we have to anchor our lives to these doctrines, and it should be represented in how we live and how we speak and how we treat others, these doctrines become our life. Our faith is not just something we do. This world will continue to throw little things out at you that says like, oh yeah, yeah, religion, if that helps you, that's great. And so it's almost like faith or religion is just an aspect of something that you do. That can't be our story. God never wanted that to be our story. Our faith is the foundation of our life. Jesus is our life. He is everything. Everything comes after him. And if that is not true, if that is not a core part of our DNA, then we're going to get carried up in the culture of this world and be carried away from the purpose that God has given us. Our story has to be different. So while the world around us gossips and uses their words to tear others down, we're going to use ours to build others up. While the world around us keeps defining and redefining what truth is to fit their compromising values, we anchor our truth in the word of God. While the world around us grows in being consumed with themselves, we die to ourselves daily, pick up our cross, and we follow Jesus. While the world around us tells lies and breeds division through dishonesty, we determine today that we are going to be truth tellers. And while the world around us drifts further away from God, we must anchor our lives in Jesus. The name above all names. He is the way. He is the truth. 
and he is the life, and no one will get to the Father except through him. He is our Lord, he is our leader, he is our life. And if we will stay unified in that, not just believing it, but if we will allow that to be represented in our lives, then our unity will bring clarity to God's love. Who is it bringing clarity to? All the people that you know and I know outside those doors, even here in Colorado Springs, that can't even grasp the concept that there's a loving God who would forgive them no matter how jacked up their life is. Our unity brings clarity to God's love. By us being unified on the essentials, we are pointing out the fact that God loved this world so much that he sent his one and only son. And if anybody will believe in him, they will never die, but they'll be given the gift of eternal life. Then, everybody say then. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I want to lead us into a time of response right now. And some of you need to wrestle with God this morning. Some of you need to really think about this whole truth-telling thing. And you know that there's different offshoots of your life. And maybe if you're in this environment or you get caught up in, in this particular type of conversation, you're more likely to tell a lie. And so whatever that looks like, I pray God convicts you of that today. Not because of guilt. God never leads with guilt. He leads with grace. And so know that you're first forgiven, but also like, what is it going to take for you? What kind of action step that you need, do you need to take so that you can determine today that you're going to be a truth teller? For others in here, um, because we're a church and no church is perfect, uh, there's some of you that are potentially bringing division into our church right now. Through your speech, through what you say, through gossip, I don't, I don't know what it is, but can I ask that you would just spend some time with God on that? God, is there an area, can you just search me right now? Is there an area in my life that I'm potentially causing us to get you know, sideways, that I'm causing uh, my, even my own life to drift because I'm getting caught up in the wrong things instead of staying focused on the one thing. And so maybe you just need to spend some time with God on how you can be more unified in your life and efforts and speech rather than divisive. But whatever that looks like, this is an in intentional time that was created for you. We call it a response time. And so around the room, you're gonna see four different crosses. And for those of us that have put our faith and trust in Jesus, this is an opportunity for us to celebrate in something that we call communion, where we take a cracker that represents the broken body of Jesus that was hanging on a cross, that hung on a cross for you. And we dip it in a cup of juice that represents his blood, that reminds us that because of his bloodshed, we are now forgiven, if we will put our trust and faith in him. And for what it's worth, if you've never heard us talk about this, those crosses are on their sides for a reason. Because if we're going to live differently than this world, then we need to we need to pay attention to what Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, where he says, hey, if you, want, if you really want to make this a part of your life, like if this is not just a good idea, if this is not just about when it's convenient, but if you want to make this a part of your life, here's what I need you to do. I want you to follow after me. And by following after me, here's what that means. Every single day that you wake up, I want you to deny, deny yourself. I want you to die to yourself. In other words, I want you to live in my purposes. I want you to live in my will. So I want you to deny yourself, die to yourself, and I want you to pick up your own cross and follow me daily. You know how, do you, you, know how you pick up a cross? You gotta lay, on, lay it on its side first. 
And so every week, I hope you're reminded of that when you go to those stations. For some of you, maybe you just need to get something off your chest. Maybe it's a confession. And so we have two prayer tables in the back that you can feel free to go and make use of. And maybe it's a confession or just something that you got to get off your chest. Maybe you just need to invite our team. We have a prayer team here at Trace to pray over something specifically happening in your life. But this time, however it looks, this is for you. It's between you and God. We intentionally want this to be a thin space between you and your heavenly father. Let me pray for us and I'll encourage you to respond. God, uh, even as a pastor, I'm ashamed sometimes to think about how many times I've allowed dishonesty to come out of my mouth. And so, Father, I pray that through my own confession that others would be freed up to acknowledge the fact that this is an area in their life that they need to be paying more attention to. And so, Lord, I also pray that if there's any division that is being bred within our church right now, God, that you would squash it. And for the person that could potentially be bringing that, God, I pray that you would convict them. Help them to see the error of their ways. Help them to see how much more they could add to what we're doing here if they would decide to love this church first. doesn't mean they have to agree with everything, but what if we all decided to love this church first? So, Father, we pray that this is a thin space, a moment between us and you, where you get our attention on whatever it is that you need to get our attention on. So God, I'm going to hand it over to you and your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.